Hello, welcome back to the third episode of The Lost Project. Today I'm honored to be here in San Diego with Alex Nielsen, is that how you say it correctly? Yes. Alex Nielsen, he is the CEO and founder of Ritual Energy. So welcome Alex, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, can you just tell, I guess myself, I mean, I've already talked to you a little bit, but also just viewers, kind of who you are and what you do and how you got here. So that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, do you want me to start with just where I'm from? Or? Yeah, I mean, just where you're from and what you're doing right now. Okay. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm from Washington State originally, but have been here for the last, so here being San Diego for the last six years. Um, yeah, and we are right now in the factory of Ritual Energy. So, uh, Ritual Energy was something that started kind of as a passion project on the side during school at UC San Diego while I was doing mechanical engineering. And it really grew into something that I was really passionate about, something that really sort of took over what I did, what I cared about, really emphasized, I guess, who I am, if that makes any sense. It sounds cheesy. Yeah. It feels weird. Um, right. So, yeah, I guess. And then I guess touching a little bit on, I guess, your educational background. I know we talked about this previously, uh, but you did attend UC San Diego. You're not necessarily an alumni there, but you were there studying uh, what was it that you were studying? Uh, mechanical engineering. Yeah, so mechanical engineering, and I mean, now you've kind of shifted into this whole operations aspect with Ritual Energy. Yeah. So could you touch a little bit about your experience at UC San Diego and your decision to, I guess, leave school to pursue this? Yeah, sure. And, and if you don't mind, I'm going to just talk to you yeah. about that. Um, but sort of, I guess, the overlap, how they interact. Um, Honestly, it was a pretty natural, well, I don't know. I've always been interested in machines. Uh, kind of cars was why I picked mechanical engineering. Yeah. Sort of like, in high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was this, uh, well, I like cars, I like machines, I like working with things. Maybe mechanical engineering is a good fit. Um, ended up really liking a lot of my classes, but it would, at the same time, it was also very theoretical. And at some point, it, it felt a little two-dimensional. Um, and I guess what I had more in mind was more probably what would have been described as a trade school. Something hands-on, sort of in-the-moment experimentation. I really love um, really instant feedback. Right. Being able to test something and see results immediately. Um, and that's, I think, where a lot of this came around, the experimentation of this product, of this bar. And I don't know if I mentioned earlier, but Ritual Energy is a, it's a peanut and chocolate snack. Right. It's a really simple, bite-sized energy snack that has the same caffeine as a whole cup of coffee. So um, basically the idea was it's, it was something that I honestly just really wanted in my life. It was something that was healthy, but also very functional. Something that could help me with school, help me with work, help me with play. Um, I just couldn't find anything that was portable and natural. Everything that was portable seemed to be like straight out of a gas station. Whether it be Red Bulls, Fiber Energies, yeah. Monsters, um, full of different chemicals, a bunch of different stimulants. And so I think sort of that instant um, Quick feedback. I love experimenting and playing around and started playing around in the kitchen and creating this and then it has sort of grown from there. Yeah. And now we're all across San Diego and starting to expand. Yeah, more. that's awesome. So. And I guess also because you did mention playing around with different ingredients and all that. So did you have any experience, I guess, with cooking or being in the kitchen growing up? So that's funny. Um, always been around food. Uh -huh. Like my whole life. My whole family. It's so funny. I was just up visiting them this last weekend. So much. Like you wouldn't believe, like you probably wouldn't imagine that that much food could fit in. There. Right. Um, but no, it just always grew up around food. My mom cooks, um, cooked quite a bit, but my sister was really into baking. 
for some reason when I was growing up, I wasn't really into cooking, but I just, I, I loved observing the process. Yeah. Sort of watching cooking shows, these things. And it wasn't until, I guess, uh, this recent period, the last several years, that I started really getting into food. But I'd always been very careful about it. And maybe, yeah, I think um, something that really switched for me, and I, I talked about this with you earlier, and I think you kind of went through your own health revolution. Mm -hmm. um, I went through, sort of, grew up eating the traditional sort of not good for you things, fast food, yeah. sugar cereals, um, not a lot of vegetables, to then in my high school years transitioning, mainly from my dad going through his own transition, a, a health revolution of my own, sort of, I was blown away even at 15, 16, 17 years old, dropped 30 pounds like that and was like, I just, it wasn't so much about the weight, I wasn't like too concerned with that, I just felt that. Everything about it, the world just seemed brighter. It just yeah. seemed like a better reality. That right. And I'm sure you can yeah. probably attest to this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that really sort of, that changed the way I look at food. Mm -hmm. like, it can be something that is just simply for fun, simply to sustain, simply just because you need it. Mm -hmm. Or it could really be an enhancement to how we look at the world. Right. The things that we put into our body, physiologically, like chemistry, chemically change the way we interact with the world. Yeah. I get my phrases all mixed up. But yeah, so that's kind of where my time Yeah, because I think even for myself, like growing up in Asian American household, like there's a lot of MSG, there's like that aspect to it. I love salt. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of like MSG oils that go into it even when you're cooking vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I was talking to my parents about that and they're always like, oh I want to be healthier. But like even our family doctors are like, you guys use a lot of oil, there's a lot of salt content that goes into it. Yeah. And then I know with Ritual Energy, so I don't think you mentioned this at all yet, but so Ritual Energy, you really try and focus on minimal ingredients, I would say. Yeah. So could you touch a little bit on how you chose your ingredients for Ritual Energy as well as the whole process of developing your product as being so simple and then also like the portability of it? Yes. So the, I guess the ingredients, there's something about, so there are many ways, there's a current trend going on right now, biohacking. Yeah. Like definitely in Silicon Valley, Bay Area. Um, this idea of optimized performance. Um, I guess maybe it, it has to do with a little bit of how I approach the world in a way. And I guess I approach the world from a very evolutionary right. like point of view that the foods, uh, Michael Pollan has a great book on this, by the way, called The Botany of Desire, and that we're not only, the, these foods that we domesticate in terms of our own diet, in one part or another, we're in part domesticated by them. And this, this may not, like, may sound crazy, but the idea being is we're co-evolving with our food. Is that certain things, the foods we choose to bring into our diets and to grow and proliferate, they spread, they succeed in their gene, like in their transfer of their genes, next generation, next generation. Um, but I think there's something in terms of, we've also evolved around our food. And that the foods that were available to us and that the foods that we've been eating, we've sort of, you give it enough time, a couple million years and the human body will adapt to just about anything through evolution. Um, there's just, I guess something, sorry, roundabout answer to your question. But I very much see that 
I, I don't want to use the word design, but we've sort of evolved to use nutrients and how it comes from nature. Right. And so the long, the short answer to the question is, we wanted to keep everything as close to nature as possible. Mm -hmm. It's just, I not only think it's the healthiest way to live, but I also think it's it's also going to be our most optimal way to live. Right. In terms of our bodies being able to process these nutrients, in terms of the array of nutrients, or certain things are certain nutrients we don't even know exist yet. Right. It's like vitamins were discovered what in the last hundred years. Yeah. And we don't even know what else is in them. Um, so keeping it sort of close to nature, close to the roots, was where it came from. And keeping it simple, not becoming too complicated. The idea was is if we could keep the ingredients as simple as possible, but also keep them close to their natural form as possible, that we'd come up with something that hopefully digests well with everyone, gives people good energy. Um, I'm sorry, the other question was? I guess the, the other question being, how did you come up with the recipe for Ritual Energy and specifically choose it? I think it was like, what, five or six ingredients that are actually in it? Yeah, so yeah, if you count the chocolate chips, it's I think 11 or 12 for the seven ingredients. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but peanuts, dates, dark chocolate chips, honey, vanilla, um, sea salt, a little bit of vitamin C, right. and a green coffee bean extract. That's where the caffeine comes from. Um, choosing those ingredients, honestly, probably here. Just trying, just throwing it. Um, it actually started off with, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but coconut water. We started, the, the idea was to get a healthier energy, like a healthier form of caffeine that was also portable. We thought about, okay, what are, what are the different forms we can put in liquid and solid? Ended up choosing um, a physical form and really just started experimenting, throwing things together, looking at recipes. Um, and a lot of it was stuff that you can do at home. A lot of the formulation was like looking at how other people make bars, other bar companies, looking at wrappers, seeing what they put in them, what are their binders, what are their ingredients, like what's the shelf look like? Just a lot of sort of, um, it didn't feel like it at the time just because I was interested in it, yeah. but a lot of analysis of the space, just what are, what are people putting into things? A lot of it's, a lot of it's junk, yeah. uh, brown rice syrup, a lot of refined, uh, I guess, syrups in a way. It's like, do you know where brown rice syrup sits on the GI index? I do not. It's near 100. It's like 97. It's like, it's a yeah. lot. It's crazy <laughs> because, like, this one YouTuber that I watched, um, her channel like, something munchies, I don't know, her whole brand is like, oh, munchies family or something. Yeah. But she goes into a lot about just reading and breaking apart, like, a simple health nutrition label. And I feel like that's something a lot of people don't know how to do. Like, something that I learned was the order of your ingredients that are listed on there oh. is based off of how much of it is actually in it. So, if something is starting with sugar, there's a bunch of sugar that's in there, you yeah. know? And just even that, like, just reading labels, often times you'll see, like, I don't know what these ingredients are. And, I mean, I was lucky enough to be able to try some of the original energy bars, but I, when I first did my research into it, I was like, actually know what each and every single of these things are and it's not over complicated it's not like super processed and that was something that I mean I personally loved just being a little helpful that I am yeah. so that was really cool for me to just be able to see that and I guess just taking it in a whole other way so I mean I don't have like the product with me in hand right now but just looking at it ritual energy how did you come with that branding of it so the, the current packaging like the name oh so um the size, for one, we we had, we started off with a really big bar. It was like a meal replacement bar, and it was, uh, I believe, one of the biggest advocates for small ones was my dad. Uh -huh. So he started eating a bunch of these, like 
the moment that things clicked was when he asked to buy like 40 or 50 of these. I was just kind of making them in my golf's kitchen, just <laughs> on my own. Yeah, pressing it with a cutting board, and it, it became so stiff to some point that I'd have to like sit on the cutting board and flatten it, uh, like, yeah. try and like jam it down and just cut it. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I get a text from my dad, and he's like, "Hey, those things are pretty good. Can I buy 40 or 50 of those?" Uh-huh. But those were full meal replacements, and as, as we started kind of going on, he asked for smaller ones. Is that uh, kind of after lunch or when he wanted it, he didn't want to eat a whole meal at once. And so we started playing with like a shot-sized version or a bite-sized version. And so the, the size, we actually, we brought down, and it's, it's a bit of a niche right now, these snack bars. They're starting to become more of a thing. Um, but it's, it's just a little something, 70 calories. You don't need to be hungry to get right. the energy. You can have lunch and have it as a little dessert at the end. Yeah. And it, it's a little pick-me-up, it doesn't fill you up, you're not eating half of it and have the rest in your pockets like melting everywhere, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, anyways, but the actual design we've gone through, so it's been many generations of different designs. Um, it's where we've gotten today, it's maybe five or six different generations of product and maybe five or six, seven, eight maybe even, different generations of colors, designs, logos. So. Quick answer to your question is iteration. You've gotten here just by doing it wrong a bunch of times. By doing something in, like going in and printing an order of wrapper and people going like, what is, is this? We had one person, this was a, maybe my first lesson in terms of like just packaging design. But we had someone without even looking at it, tear it open and dump it into a glass of water. Like the whole bar into a glass of water. And we're like, okay, something went wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> so they obviously like, there's, kind of like our messaging was not clear. Right. Yeah, they thought it was, they saw, we put, had like a cup on it, we called it a disc. It was all this confusing messaging. Huh. And they thought it was something that people didn't want. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was sort of maybe the first moment of like, whoa, we gotta be really careful. Yeah. yeah, about what words we put on there. And then also the emphasis. A lot of, uh, I guess, ritual energy has also been learning about uh, design. It's my own sort of experimentation with design. Right. So the packaging is something that I designed myself. Um, and it was, we had worked with, yeah, we worked with many talented, creative individuals in terms of design. Mm -hmm. um, but there was something about being able to learn the tools, like Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop, and be able to have a feeling or image and, and apply it. Right. Because not everything, it's like, I may have, I think, and you may get this as well in terms of some of the graphic design that you've done, but in working on a project or an image, you may have a certain idea, and then you put it on paper, and it's like, oh, this is, yeah. this is crap, sorry, pardon <laughs> <laughs> This is crap. But then you say, oh, what if, with it on paper, it changes the perspective of it. It's no longer in your head, and you go, oh, well, maybe it's this, or this looks funky, and you start tweaking it. Start tweaking it, tweaking it, and then all of a sudden, it turns out into something that really cool. It didn't even start yeah. out, yeah. yeah. So just, I guess, constant iteration, but what we wanted to convey was very clean ingredients mm -hmm. that is about the energy. We are a food product, right. but food is energy. Right. Like food, calories. Calories at its core is just simply a measure of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a, what, one degree Celsius increase in temperature of one milliliter. Right. Like, yeah, you cubic. That's a technical background. But it all sort of it fits in there. It's, it's caloric energy and it's stimulant energy, mm -hmm. the caffeine. Right. Um, we really wanted to emphasize caffeine, but also that it was very clean. A lot of energy products, energy products out today, yeah. they're full of um, five or six different stimulants. Right. Like you look at a Red Bull, 
touring abroad on niacin, thiamine, uh, ginseng. Yeah. It's all working on your central nervous system. Well, not all, but working on your system at once. Mm -hmm. Some on your central nervous system, some other parts of the body. I'm not right. Yeah. Um, but we just wanted to keep it simple. And so we went with a white, clean background, emphasis on the energy, some colors, some fun, um, and then also featuring the ingredients. Yeah. And I guess the other part of it, so I know that you mentioned how you went through like countless times of just repackaging, rebranding what yeah. ritual energy is now. And I mean, even your, I guess the shipment of it, it comes in like the little pouch. And yeah. I read in the car that like, oh, this is kind of like sustainability aspect to it. And those pouches initially used were kind of like, not failed designs, but designs that you chose not to stick with, and you've just been able to like reprint on those and repurpose those. Yeah. So it's like a whole new aspect to ritual energy that I thought was super cool as well. Yeah. So, and what's kind of fun about that bag is, um, so we started, our first bar was in standard cardboard boxes, just like any other bar. Right. And then we started adapting this everything. So I grew up doing a lot of hiking, spending a lot of time in nature, and it's, it's, like seeing litter on the trails and things, it's just a constant reminder of how much we do have impact on this planet. Even the most, like the furthest reaching, most remote locations on the earth, there's still repercussions of what we're doing right. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and not only just in physical matter, but we talk about the atmosphere. Yeah. Anyways, um, we moved to a wooden design or a reusable display uh, so that in each location, they just refill it from a biodegradable bag and that they're not throwing away a whole box every time. So we, that idea kind of transferred over to our, our bags that we sell online. Mm -hmm. And we needed something that was, like, obviously it needs to function. We need something that we can mail really easily, that we can fit into a certain size box to get a certain mailing rate. Mm -hmm. Like there's a business aspect to it right. as well. But there's also, what's fun about this is we wanted to find something that people could also reuse. Mm -hmm. Something that when you get it, not just immediately tossing it away, you know, right. the, the Reduce, reuse, reuse recycle. recycle. Yeah. Many people I notice don't do the reuse thing. Yeah. So it's like this is a fun way. It's really easy. And like I, you brought your camera yeah. stuff in it, and that like um, that stoked me out. It's like you can reuse this, and then it's just it's cotton, so it'll biodegrade. So right. Yeah. Because I think with a lot of packaging, even like for example, going to Costco, you buy something. Like let's say you just want let's say I don't know like oil blotting sheets. I don't know the first thing that came to yeah. my mind, but they always have that huge amount of packaging plastic that goes around it, but I'm like, what I really want is just the product itself, and not like, I don't need this plastic that's just going to go to a waste, and, you know? Well, and what's funny to think is, we're heading into a new age where marketing is changing, but, like, do you know kind of why the packaging's so big and bulky? No, could you elaborate on that? So, at least, my understanding of it is, you're fighting for shelf space, in terms of, to, to get into kind of the business yeah. aspect, also people's eyes and visions. So when you see those big boxes out there, they're just trying to grab your attention. So the more surface area they have up there, like these stand-up pouches has been a new innovation in terms of food packaging. I don't know if you right. noticed that things aren't coming in boxes anymore, they're coming in these little like yeah. these plastic rip-open pouches. You can take something that was once this much surface area in marketing material and turn it into twice as much on the shelf. Because they stack vertical, you get them behind. Right. But all of a sudden, they're just trying to grab your attention yeah. in a lot of ways. And not to say that that's inherently like evil or bad, yeah. it's just that's marketing. Right. People are trying to grab your attention yeah. and it's just, yeah, it sucks that it, you just want the thing and it's tiny, but you got this big, big old, massive, yeah. I just want that little toothbrush and right. you got like two feet of cardboard. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I mean, even, I think right now, market trends always shift 
as time is going, technology, people's preferences and all that. And I mean, there's like this huge movement that I've seen where people are like, let's say going into Whole Foods and then bringing in their own containers and yeah. they're trying to simplify the whole process and the whole like reusable bag and stuff in California where they yeah. charge you like 10 cents. But I mean, I think that in itself, having your reusable bag, you're able to brand and package that instead of like, okay, let me just keep producing plastic when it's bad for the environment, but also like, I think it's shifted into a whole new way for people to continue to market their brand even further. Yeah. Yeah. Just side note, that yeah. being said, is our packaging in itself is not like the, the stuff that touches the actual product, the little pouch, is not biodegradable. Like right. that's 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 a line we had to draw in terms of like what just was and safety for consumers first, completely airtight, waterproof, right. and then everything else can be biodegradable yeah. and you can bring all that stuff. Right. But we just, there's still a limit to that. And in terms of the technology we have. Right. So. And I guess just taking this in a whole other aspect, so I know you had a mechanical engineering background and then moving into this more business aspect, obviously you're still dealing with like machine parts to produce your product. Sure. But Which by the way, everything in here is like, uh-huh. Junior and I, we're in here running this stuff. Yeah. It's like we maintain it, we clean it, we operate it. That's us. Yeah, so I mean, definitely that's the cool aspect of where you're able to apply any knowledge that you have learned with the mechanical engineering thing. But I guess, what was the transition and learning curve like to be able to start your own business and shift from mechanical engineering into, okay, I need to get technical, all the legal aspects that come with it, and to the space and all of that. Yeah, so learning curve is huge. Right. Um, I would say the difference, I wouldn't say the difference was more so mechanical engineering and business, because a lot of it's problem solving. A lot of it kind of comes back to just uh, sort of analytical thinking and problem solving in a way. Um, but how like the arena changed a lot, and what I mean by that is, so being at UCSD, some of the best professors and some of the best facilities in the, like in the world. And it's like I really enjoyed my time at UCSD, but there were some aspects that that just seemed a little two dimensional, and that was in the application of it. it was sort of the free form nature of it. In terms of like going into business, it's a free for all. You're going up against anyone and everyone. Right. Like everyone from the Especially biggest guys, California. yeah, <laughs> all sorts of competition, and also yeah. like you're in the same play like playground, you're playing field as Kellogg, General Mills, the big boys, right. as well as some of the smallest ones as well. Sort of, um, but that transition and freedom in terms of thinking and working, especially working inside of. Uh, established guidelines and things like that. Really, this is sort of, this is, in a way I see it as kind of like the Wild West, where you kind of, you, like, you're kind of fended for yourself. Yeah. And that was that was a big transition. That's like, if, if you don't have, like, people supporting you, if you don't have a network, there's not, like, a system that's going to come, there's no cavalry that's going to come and bail you out. Right. If, shit hits the fan. Yeah. Like there's not a counselor you can go talk to that's just like, oh here's what you have to do on your records to get yeah. back into this class or something. It's like, oh, you gotta figure it out yourself. Right. Um, not to say that that's everything to business. Right. Yeah, but I mean definitely creating your own thing there's a big risk to it. Yeah. Just because you're going into something where I don't know, it could work and it could take off, like it could become a million dollar company, it could become a unicorn aspect in that industry, but not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I hope for that. Uh, but I guess, what were your initial thoughts of going into this business where, you, I mean, clearly you did a whole bunch of research into what it would take to start your own company and all of that. 
But what were your initial thoughts of just that risk factor of like, oh, if this didn't work out, what would happen? Or was that even something that crossed your mind? Yeah, yeah. So uh, two things. So the first bit I would say, actually before, like, I didn't do a bunch of business research before starting experimenting. It wasn't until like the product itself started like show proving viability that I started thinking like, okay, how do we scale this? Like the business aspects of it. To be honest, I've come from like I fifth generation family business. So like business has always been like I grew up there pictures of yeah, me and my twin sister and in like in baskets at the office next to my mom as they're both kinda like my mom and dad working. And so grew up around just business, it's a broad term, but the sort of that arena for a while. So I had always kind of been seated in that place, but the, the serious in terms of like, okay, what are we gonna do in terms of regulations, in terms of taxes, in terms of licensing, in terms of production, all of that stuff didn't come until really proving viability of the product. And if, if there's anyone out there who's listening with that, thinking of a product, I would say, or creating a product or service, I would say there's a lot of testing, a lot, shit ton yeah. of testing that you can do, testing, but getting it out into the marketplace that you can do in the meantime before ever crossing that bridge into like filing as a company. Right. You don't really need that until you're doing, like, until you're actually selling product. There's a lot of stuff you can do before that. So, um, yeah, that wasn't the first thing I did. I would recommend that people do that as the first yeah. time. Um, and then the second part, sorry, the second, the follow up to that question. I guess the other thing is, so I mean, I've been talking to a lot of people who have started, I don't know, some entrepreneurship innovation aspect to whatever business that they're doing. But I guess in yourself and your own experience doing it, what were some of the challenges that you didn't expect coming, or even challenges that you're facing right now and trying to fully scale your project and obviously build and grow it? Um, well, maybe not so much of a challenge, but something I didn't understand at the beginning, something that I'm still having to like tell myself now, yeah. is the time in which things take to happen. Like just, there's, in terms of, just for example, just like sales, just trying to get the product into a bunch of different retailers. I could talk to a like, dozen, two dozen people today, but from the time I start speaking with a potential customer to the time that they actually buy product, it could be weeks. It could be five different follow-ups. This the person the first time, get a hold of them, get their contact, take them to a meeting, all this stuff. Just the time in which things take. And that not everything happens quickly. So it's uh, so doing a lot to set up for future success. Like putting all of those pieces in place, but then also learning to be patient. Yeah. Let those seeds sort of right. fruit flower. Yeah. That's <laughs> definitely like a big thing, just the whole aspect of being patient. Because I guess touching about like myself. Actively patient. Yeah. <laughs> like I guess for myself and I guess other students and maybe other individuals could relate to this when you're trying to apply for a new job, for example. And the biggest thing that you have to keep in mind is just being patient because it takes time. There's so many other logistical aspects behind it that you might not be well aware of to begin with. And I mean, like I've been waiting for, I think I want to say I was like actively job searching for like six or seven months uh, during my time abroad and then coming back. And I think slowly it came something where I was like, okay, I just need to be patient. 
things will work out. And I, you know, I got into that loop of like, what am I doing wrong? Like, is there something wrong with me, or is it, you know, someone else? And I guess tying that in spiritual energy, did you ever feel like, oh, this isn't gonna work? Why am I wasting my time doing this? Like, I could be doing something else. Like, do any of those thoughts kind of cross your mind even today? Um, they, there was a period of time where they really started to. And that's always like, to be honest, that's always a reality thing. Sorry, I just want to loop back. In terms of the patience thing, I just want to make clear that I don't want patience to be used as an excuse for being lazy. Right. Like, there's a big difference yeah. in terms of not taking action versus being patient to see the results of one's actions. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in terms of the whole, like, fear of failure, or so, yeah, um, there was, I'm starting to remember, it's, your other question had to do with, uh, uh, no, no, um, just like the thoughts of negative thoughts coming into your mind and how that affected you in that process. Yeah, and if it still is reoccurring today. That's right. And your your question before him was, what if this doesn't work? And there's always a possibility. Like right. in any company, even the largest companies out there, there's always a lingering possibility that they could go belly up. Yeah. There's that's that's something to just sort of understand. Like we can't ignore that. But there was a time in particular, not so much now, we've got a lot of good stuff going on. We've got a lot of cool stuff happening, and it's like really exciting. But there was a time in which, yeah, it's, it was, um, so okay, I'm gonna tell you a little bit of this story. This might be TMI. But there was a time in which, so, it started this, like, with the hopes of building this with someone else, in terms of like a business partner. But that relationship and sort of the, the interests and the, everything just sort of ended up you know, splitting directions. But that had consumed like many, like we were best friends, we were roommates, we were business partners. It was all of that in one. Um, and that ended up sort of unfolding in a way. And that was like, that was an incredible hit in terms of just like my confidence in terms of thinking that I could do this. That and then that in the same month uh, got broke up with a long-term girlfriend, and then that same year, um, everyone who I was going to school with was graduating, was leaving, and so I'm from Washington, so my family's still up there. My sister's on the other side; she's in New York right now. Um, but really, no familial network down here. Friend network graduating and moving on, all leaving, right. literally going to jobs and starting their normal lives yeah. and things like that. Ending of this this business relationship and in turn my confidence and then also my emotional support uh, of this relationship. Yeah. And it was just like, that was an incredible just blow on blow on blow. And yeah, there were moments where it's just like, what am I doing? Why is this, like, should I even continue? Am I stupid for doing this? Uh, and I guess maybe the Just having faith, I guess, in terms of things working out and just pushing forward was the only thing that I, I guess I got through that. It was just keep moving forward, not letting that stop me. There was a time, yeah, I just wanted to throw my hands up and just like, at this, yeah, I'm done. Let's forget all yeah. of this. I mean, I think that's definitely that same aspect that you touched on earlier, just being patient with it, but still doing things and not just taking lazy like you said. Because a lot of it is like, I think even during the toughest times, that's why it's like, I think that you can keep pushing through and using that as, I guess, your motivational factor to continue to hopefully 
see out your entire project and feel like, okay, let me just quit on this. I mean, to see, I guess, what has been that satisfaction that you've gotten from where you started to where you are now with virtual energy? Oh, well, incredible. Yeah. It's like, it's that, it's not just from where I started in there, but it's like that indentation in the middle, that low point really sort of, it also helped give me some sort of... There's like self-validation to what you, I guess, picking yourself up from that bottom curve and then slowly digressing that, right? Yeah, well, yes, yes and no. It, it really gave context in terms of like appreciation for just even like simple things. Right. It's very simple progresses in terms of the business, but it, yeah, it, it just, it's, yeah, it's been maybe two and a half years since that, but it's been about two years of like pulling myself out of it. Right. So I don't know if I can like properly comment on that. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, give it like a give year it, like, two, a decade and see where it goes. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is, so you mentioned that initially you wanted Ritual Energy um, to be sort of like co-founded, I guess, with a business partner. And in that process, I guess, if you were to start with say a new business, not saying that you would, but what are different things that you look for or that you would look for now that you have the experience of running your own business a little bit? Yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, well, one probably wouldn't start another business with a yeah. partner. Just because there's, uh, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how to put it in the words, but I would say anyone who would like, partnerships are very viable. Um, there's, I just, the advice that I would give is, even if it's just a glimmer of hope of it becoming something, really vet that relationship, and not in terms of like personal person or friends, but in terms of business. Right. In terms of heading into a business venture is completely different than having like a friendship in a way. And um, like you could be best friends with somebody, but hate working with them. Yeah. I'm not saying that was the case here, yeah. but it was just like yeah, possibility. Yeah, the, the way that you guys communicate may not build a strong relationship. And so I think Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot, um, but it's about finding complementary pieces. Like right. if, if you're really focused in the design of something, you really want to just make sure it's the most beautiful product ever, and then someone else is really, like say for example your partner, is really focused on, okay, how do we get this product into the world? You've got this amazing thing, how do we like expand this and blow this up? That's a great partnership. Yeah. But if you're both interested in doing, yeah, sort of, Trying to find, I guess, those different puzzle pieces and being able to put it together to really work as a team and not, I guess, like the contrasting views and going against each other. Yeah, and yeah. Well, but also, I think going against each other is bad, though, just not in like a, an emotional sense, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't think that good business partners necessarily need to be good friends. Right. Is that my grandma used to say, it's like, if we both agreed on everything, one of us wouldn't be necessary. Yeah, it's keeping each other in check, and that comes with some discussions, some arguments, some headbutt, and that's a relationship that can survive a lot of that. Basically, a lot of pushback, but also understanding and working through it. As long as that relationship keeps moving through that, that I would say yeah. is probably a pretty good sign of it being a good working relationship. Right. If it's always, if it's meant, if confrontation is meant to shut it down with um, non-progress, that's. I would say yeah. that's a pretty bad. I think mean, just going into like any business or I guess job even, I feel like for me personally, like I would want 
to be able to challenge my manager in that sense, or even be challenged by them, not saying like you're working against them, but yeah. just to be able to like talk those different ideas out because I think everyone has sort of a different take on what works best in their eyes. Yeah, it's like great example. So Junior, one of the guys I work closely with, uh-huh. um, like he'll come up with these ideas, and my my initial reaction sometimes is like is to sort of. No, 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 that can't work if that's too elaborate. But then I'll, I'll stop and think, oh shit, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. We should, like, that was really insightful. But it's, um, I'm, I'm still, me even, I'm working on just calming down the defenses uh-huh. in a way, not being so reactive to criticisms or disagreement. Right. Um, yeah, I think for any, for either superior or peers or whoever, I think that's like, those are just good signs of a working team. And I think just doing all of this, I mean, it's definitely like a learning experience and you're still learning as you're trying to figure out new aspects and avenues of where virtual energy may be expanding. But I guess could you talk about where you see virtual energy going in, let's say, the next two to five years, kind of like that short-term area? Up the coast. Yeah. Up to UC Irvine, <laughs> LA, up the coast. It's, right. Um, we've, we've spent a lot of time just trying to understand our, our local region, mm-hmm. uh, really taking taking it upon ourselves to focus on San Diego for the specific reason of, one, this is where we're from, this is our name, these are, uh, but also, it's, in terms of getting feedback for a product, starting local, I think, is really smart. In terms of, um, it's quick feedback, you can see how the product's doing in the market, you can make quick shifts, pivots, change the product, change the flavor, change the wrapping, all this stuff. If you got someone on the other side of the country, it's hard to do that. So our, our basic, we're comfortable enough where we are in terms of our product. We're stoked at what this thing is. Yeah. Packaging, display, all of it. I mean, we're still working. It's right. always a work in progress. But our goal is to expand up the ground, is to basically hit towards, and then inland as well. Um, like, not everything's goals. Right. There are a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of amazing areas that we want to get into, right. but uh, just geographically, it makes sense for us to move on. Right. And I guess <laughs> tying that in, because you are from Washington, so I guess, do you see it? Is your goal to, I guess, expand it into Washington? Oh, yeah, that's absolutely. Where you're from, you know? Yeah. And then, <clears throat> so Ritual Energy right now, there's only one, I guess, like, energy bar type product as in one flavor, but yeah. do you see areas where, I don't know, you might expand to explore different flavor options as well? I know also, like, there's a whole vegan movement and just, like, I guess, business plans in terms of that avenue. Yep, we are exploring all of those avenues. Uh-huh. So we actually have, we have a couple of new products slated to come out later this year. Um, yeah, so hopefully in a couple of months, yeah, it'll be out in the market. So different flavors, different concepts, all of you. Mm-hmm. And then also, so could you share a little bit, I know we touched on this very briefly earlier, but just kind of like the whole inspiration, what still drives you behind Ritual Energy? Because for me, like when we had our previous discussion, I was super excited to want to be able to talk to you and really hear more about the story behind it. And I don't know, I felt like that was just very captivating to myself, given my like, interest in fitness and all of that. Yeah. And I feel like that's something, it's really important because, I mean, you were able to align your passion and make that into a purpose and turn that into essentially what your career is now. Yeah, so, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, Gonna gonna make one note on the word passion. I'll, I'll get to your question, but so in the idea of passion, that's always been a very confusing word to me. Yeah. In terms of like, 
I think I have a very different definition for it than other people, but I also didn't know what it meant. I didn't know the definition because it seems like every other person, any TED talk or YouTube you listen to, someone has some different definition, their own definition of what passion is. And I guess I'll just add to the list of definitions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, well, I really think, in terms of my experience of it, it's, I think of it almost as inverse. It's not like someone is passionate about, well, okay, sorry, I'm gonna take a step back. Passion can come in many forms in many different ways. But the way that I've experienced it is not necessarily like, I have certain drives and interests and desires, but to call this one thing my universal all-being passion drive is like, bold. bold yeah. yeah, it's bold. And it's also, I don't think we know that for at least even a long time. Even like as far as I am in this, I don't know if I could pinpoint one thing that was my absolute passion. I think in a lot of ways, our passions are built on the things that we have enough interest in to keep butting our heads against enough times for long enough that don't really, not make sense, but that things may be leaning in the other side. I think that's a great way to understand what one's passions are. If you keep running at something and you don't know why you just keep driving at this thing, even though conventional wisdom or other people may be saying, no, that's like, go the other way, or why are you doing it this way, all that stuff. That's a good sign that might be one piece of what your passion is. Um, but it does go back, and these pieces, at least for me, are a lot about health. And a lot about, I don't really know how to word it, but um, doing things. <laughs> but just um, continually experimenting, continually growing. Um, this may sound weird, but I, I kind of... I think I I thrive most in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And uncomfortable situations I will like make uncomfortable <laughs> for myself. Yeah. But it's that sort of that's that place of discomfort is where we sort of grow. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, so I think that constant move forward, I don't know I don't have a word for it, I don't have a phrase, I'm sure people there's probably some coin term for it. Probably, yeah. yeah, and I hope people understand what I'm talking about. But continual progress and I think that's that kind of represents my love of caffeine in a way but also growing up in a, a kind of a very hyperactive thing like any weekend we were like there wasn't a weekend that we were just like hey yeah we're also going to doing some projects sort of improving and that like caffeine for me seemed like at least growing up in Washington Seattle Starbucks all these different coffee shops it's like it was also part of the culture right it was just it was this when Things are shitty and rainy and cold. Drink a cup of coffee and you just like to keep doing things. It just became comfortable. Yeah, it's sort of like even when things became inclement or bad weather or any of that stuff, it was just, you just kind of keep moving. And that became a comfortable place for me. Yeah, yeah. But then food and nutrition just seemed a difference. I kind of already did it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely cool. Like, I know I'm just talking to a bunch of people, but it's important to be able to separate passion and purpose and really define. Mm. separate entities, I believe, um, just because a lot of the times, like you said, there's so many different definitions of what people think passion are, or what purpose is, but really being able to, I guess, use, I was talking to Sam Park, he's um, another youth individual who is like this huge influencer on LinkedIn, I would say, but he's given a lot of talks, it's kind of brought it to my life of, you kind of use, like, it's important to identify, I guess, what your passion is, and then your purpose is more of like the vehicle that fuels your passion, I guess. 
something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what the exact wording was. I'm not sure if you. Yeah. Well, I, I like. I guess how do you embody that, or like how how do you understand it? Because I'm, I'm a little. I think for me, I'm curious for a little lost. Yeah. Um, I think for me, just like like just trying different things and just realizing like all these different things that I've done in my past and trying to connect the dots of where I see a lot of similarities. I think that's kind of became uh, things that I found, oh, I'm passionate about. But then I guess purpose, trying to identify what your vehicle is to continue those passions. And I guess for me being a student, all these different involvements that I'm in, those, let's say, organizations have become the vehicle of how I get to be able to feel my passion and continue to spread it. Okay, so the passion is the sort of physical manifestation of the vehicle right. of how that passion is, ex- you express that passion. Right. Interesting. Oh, that's cool. I've never, yeah. So I mean, I like that. I've never thought That's kind of like my take of how I see it, just because, I mean, it is like important to separate the two, really have, I guess, your own unique definition of what it is, but just making sure that you're fully understanding. I think the biggest thing is like trying to identify who you are, what you want to do, I guess, with your career and I guess the whole like, oh, what's the purpose of my life sort of thing. And yeah. I guess reconnecting that, I just, I guess, transitioning to wrapping this up. What is like a few pieces of advice that you might have for people that are kind of, I guess, in the stage of, I don't know what I want to do, like, how do I find the things that I'm passionate about, and is it possible to convert it into this is my purpose, it can turn into a career? And I mean, there's like a huge thing of like, oh, you don't have to go corporate. Yeah, you can kind of do something else and really turn that into doing something that you love. Yeah, so I guess this, okay, so I gotta say the passion and purpose thing has really got me thinking. Uh-huh. But in terms of that, in terms of advice I would give, from my experience, I don't mean I'm only 20 years old, it's like I'm not, you're not talking to some sage old guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but through my experience, It doesn't necessarily, so I think from what I've seen, and I've experienced this as well, this, yeah, asking some of these bigger questions, like, is this all cool? Like, these are really daunting questions that I think our generation's asking a lot of, like, we're asking this a lot, maybe almost too much. Yeah. Um, but something, one piece of advice I would like to give is that even if something is not, you are not passionate about, or you don't feel that it is your purpose, it doesn't mean that it is necessarily not worth your time. And that there are many things that I thought, at least throughout this this whole journey, that I would have just like rather have someone else do. I'd rather not have done do myself, or just like have left behind, not even acknowledged. Right. But by going through it, come out with much different perspectives that change that whole the whole perspective on what is passion, what is purpose, and it, like it shifts the whole game in a way. By going through those things, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be passionate about it, or it does, you don't have to be, oh, this is my God-given purpose, and it's yeah. like, this is it. It's like, no, it's okay. It's like, people spend their entire lives trying to find it. Yeah. At 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, it's like, you don't need to know that right now. That's, you can still progress, there's a lot you can do, there's a lot, a lot of life to live in the meantime. Yeah. It's, it doesn't have to be a big concern. Um, but just keep moving. I would say my biggest piece of advice is just to, no matter what, just keep moving. Right. Sort of keep moving forward. And even if you gotta like 
I don't know, or maybe you're like drag yourself off the ground from a weeping session. Like there's nothing wrong with trying, <laughs> but it's like even if it's to that extent, you just keep moving forward. If something's not working, keep moving. And that's uh Yeah, I mean I like that. I think that just reconnects even to that early thought of you saying being patient, sticking through with it and continue to do and be active as I guess the patience of like not just doing it but getting into that cycle of do anything because then that could go all downwards and all of that but yeah I mean just keep moving forward keep pushing through and I guess just keep experimenting and trying different things because you never know like, where something might ding for you and you're like okay this is actually what I want to do and I mean I think that's a common mindset not just for like people who are in I guess their 20s but even people who aren't like well off in their 30s 40s are kind of like wait people make these pivotal career changes later on as well. Yep. And even some of the best, like the greatest thinkers of all time, some of the great inventors. Right. Like I'm uh, thinking of, uh, gosh, Buckmaster Fuller just came to mind, I don't know why, but like going through like times of really hating what they did, or not liking it, but like part of which those inventions, those ideas, those escapes come from an understanding of what they don't like as well. Right. And to explore that, I think, is also necessary. I think, to some degree, I think we also, just in terms of, well, we're young, we haven't had a lot of time. But maybe our generation doesn't quite, maybe isn't as open to exploring what we don't like as much. Now, that's a huge generalization. Yeah, I'm probably going to that. But, um, but yeah, it, like, jumping in, and even if you don't like something, kind of just forcing oneself to just keep an open mind, to walk in and just, What's this about? What are they doing? What's going on? How can I like? What is? What's really happening? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I'm gonna wrap it up. There. Okay. <laughs> but thank you so much for allowing me to come down to Ritual Energy and see the whole production aspect of it, and of course, meeting you in person is always great. Yeah. And great. Uh, I will go ahead and in the comments below, as well as with the podcast itself, I'll be sure to tag Alex in there so you can kind of check. Uh, more about who he is as well as Ritual Energy so you can see more about what Ritual Energy is all about and the product itself and hopefully you'll love the story at least as much as I do and maybe even getting the chance to try it because I know that they ship it like anywhere almost and it's free shipping with yeah it, right so uh, yeah our website ritualenergy.com r-i-t-u-a-l energy.com uh, we do free shipping across the country we're also available on Amazon Prime yeah so, so okay. super accessible. Easy. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. I wonder how long. <laughs>